2 Samuel chapter 15. Wow, what a passage tonight we have. I told you don't miss Sunday night. Um, give you a background. Absalom killed his brother Amnon for raping his sister Tamar. Absalom was gone to Gesher for three years with his grandfather. And during that time, David and, and, and Absalom never spoke. And so Joab sent this woman to tell this story about trying to get them back together. And so we don't know the reason why Joab wanted Absalom back so bad, but it never tells us. I gave you some options for that, but we don't know why. And so we see that finally Absalom comes back to the kingdom. He moves back into his old house, two houses down from David. And David says, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see his face. I don't want to speak to him. And so Joab's plan kind of blew up and he's sitting here for two years in his house, not talking to his daddy. Now, David is not the 13 year old boy anymore. He's not the man running in the wilderness and fighting off giants. He's not this man anymore. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, he is losing his kingdom right from underneath his nose and he doesn't even know it. He is between 60 and 64 years old. He dies at 70. We're getting towards the end of his life. And I have no idea what David's thinking at this point. It could be that his health has declined. It could be that he's not able to uh, perform his duties like he once was. I, I don't know, but you're going to see a side of David tonight. You're going to go, hey man, wake up. And so finally, Absalom calls for Joab after two years. He says, hey, I'm going to send a message to you. And Joab ignores him. He sends another message to him. Joab ignores him. The third message was this. Absalom set... Joab's field's on fire. That got his attention. Joab comes to his house. You can see this argument that's taking place. And all of a sudden, he says, let me speak to my daddy. So he finally says, okay. And he, came, he comes in and he falls on the ground. We finished that up. He falls on the ground in the last part of chapter 14. The very last verse, so in, in verse 33... So when Joab came to the king, told him he called for Absalom, thus he came to the king, prostrated himself, his face on the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Now I want to go ahead and tell you the damage has already been done. Three years in Gesher, David didn't handle the problem with Amnon, Tamar's been raped, he's watched his sister go through this morning. And by the way, by this time, it's possible that Absalom had already lost all three of his boys. There is a lot of bitterness that's built up in Absalom. You can imagine that he has come back to Jerusalem thinking that he is going to come back to a welcoming party and he comes back to silence. And so he comes back with this bitterness and he, and he th throws himself before his dad and he's pretending to be submissive. He's pretending to love on his dad. He's pretending that he missed them. Now I want to go ahead and tell you, I believe David truly misses his son. And I believe that he's falling for all of this that's going on. And so we get to chapter 15, verse 1. And now they've spoke this time. And now we go to verse 1. Now it came about after this 
that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run ahead of him. Now, this reference here is after that, after what I just read, after the hug and the kiss. See you, Dad. Love you, Dad. It was all a lie. And he says, and he provided for chariots and horses. Now, now what Absalom is doing, he's pulling out his best limos. He's getting out his best horses. He's choosing about 50 men, and he started a, a, a strategy. And so all of a sudden, here he comes down the road, and he's got 50 of his men. He's got chariots, and he's got horses, and here they all come down the road together. Now, he's a man of power. But he don't have no power. Now, it's possible he's going to be the next prince. He would be the one to take over the throne. But he has no power. No, nobody's assigned him anything. By the way, who puts kings in the office? It was God. God put Saul there, right? God put, God put David there. But, but, but God didn't put Absalom in the office. But Absalom begins to campaign. And he's what he's doing, remember his long flowing hair? He cuts five and a half pounds of hair off each year. There's no imperfections in his skin. Everybody's ooh, ah, and the girls are all loving Absalom. And so he comes with 50 men, all of his chariots and all of his horses, and he marches down the street and everybody says, there's Absalom. And he holds his head high. He's full of pride, full of bitterness, full of anger. And he's full of himself. And he's making a show of himself. He's making a show of everything around. He has a plan. And by the way, sitting in that house for two years, he, is, he has got the plan together of what he's planning on doing. Verse 2. And Absalom used to rise up in the morning, stand beside the road of the gate. And any man who came and had a lawsuit was to come before the king of judgment. And Absalom would call him out and say, For what city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from the, one of the tribes. Now let me explain something. Their court system, by the way, we get our court system and a lot of our laws from the, the, from the Old Testament. Their judicial system is set up kind of like ours where you had a low court, you had a next court, next court, you know, then you had a Supreme Court. Well, in their system, if you, if you had a case that you brought before the local judge, and you didn't feel like you were treated fairly, that you had a right to appeal. And then you would go before the next judge. You would go before the next court. And you would get your lawyers together and y'all would build a case and you'd go before them and they would, they would make the plea. And if you didn't feel like you had been given a, a fair judgment, then you could go before the Supreme Court. Now, who is the Supreme Court? It's David. So Absalom would get up early in the morning to make sure that he could get a hold of everybody that walks in and out of the palace. Where were they going? They were going to see David, the Supreme Court. And what they would do, these two people would stand there and they would say, look, this is what happened and this is what happened and I haven't received justice and, and this is what happened, this is what happened. And David said, I rule in your favor. I don't rule in your favor. Pay him this amount or whatever. And when David said it, it was done. It was like the Supreme Court, you weren't going any higher. So Absalom's leaned up against the court of the, of the gate, and he's watching these people go in and out, in and out, and he starts stopping them. And he says, where are you from? Where are you from? Hey, I, I'm Absalom. It's nice to meet you. 
Hey, what, what, what town are you from? Man, you got some beautiful children there. Can I hold your baby? I just, I just want to tell you who I am. Now, remember, he's got this big entourage. He's got this big show. And he's standing outside of the palace. Now, I want you to try to wrap your hands around this. Where is David? I mean, did the man not open the window, open the blinds and look out? Did nobody tell him? Something's going on outside the gate. I want you to keep that in mind. And so he would start trying to figure out what tribe they were from and he would introduce himself and he would say, these are my men, I just want to tell you. And then he went on in verse three and said, then Absalom would say, see your claims are good and right, but you have no one to listen to you on the part of the king. So he would then say, so what are you, what are you coming for? What are you coming to the Supreme Court for today? Well, my neighbor, he, you know, his tree dropped on my fence and, you know, and, and I believe it's his responsibility to pay for my fence. Now, that's all that Absalom would hear. And he says, you know what? You're right. I believe you are right. And I believe that that other person should pay for your fence. Now, here's what the Bible doesn't teach us. We don't know if the other party was even there. All that Absalom would do is listen to one side of the story and say, I agree. I agree with you. Now, that kind of sounds like some of the campaigning we have today, doesn't it? All the promises that are made, the kissing the babies, the loving the children, the lobbyists that are coming in, right? Oh, yes, I'll get that done for you. I'll take care of that. I'll do this. I'll do this. And this is what Absalom is doing. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. And if I was in office, I would hear your case. And I would side with you. Now, I want to tell you, it doesn't tell us that Absalom heard both sides of both people. You know, there's always two sides to every coin, right? He didn't hear both sides. He only heard one of the sides. And he says, I'm siding with you. And people are like, well, that Absalom, that's a pretty good old boy. Man, look at his, 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 his face and his hair and his muscles. And look at all these people he's got around him. Surely he's got the support. And you know what he did? He sat there every single day, day in and day out. Hey, can, can, I'm Absalom. How you doing? What are you in here for? Oh, you know what? I tell you what, I sure wish you would have a king that would hear you out. But you don't have one. You don't have one. Now, was David being the king? Was he judging these cases? Well, yeah, he sure was. Now, how did Absalom know that David wasn't doing his job? You know what? It didn't matter. It was all a lie. Why? Because this was how we get back at David. This is how we get back at David for not coming down on Amnon after raping Tamar. This is how we get back at David for um, not talking to him for two years. This is how we get back at David. I'm coming for your kingdom. And so he continues on in verse four. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that would somebody appoint me judge in the land. Then everyone who has a lawsuit or claim could come to me and I would give him justice. Listen to him. 
There's nobody else that's going to be on your side. There's nobody else. I'm the one that's going to take care of you. My father is not on your side, but I'm on your side. And if you vote for me, if you put me in the office, you'll win your case. Don't you see what's going on here? It wasn't about justice. It wasn't about fairness. It wasn't about being right. It was about, it's about me. And it's about me saying whatever it is to say to make you vote for me. Now, by the way, where did he learn that? He learned that from his daddy. Because if his daddy would have handled things rightly and justly from the very beginning, then all of this stuff wouldn't still be coming back on him. Verse, verse five. And whenever a man approached to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and he would kiss him. Now he's getting to the point where he's been there so many days, people are starting to bow down to him. Before they were walking right by him. Who are you? I want you to see the progression. If I lie long enough, not only am I going to believe this lie, but now other people are going to start believing this lie. And so now they're stopping at the gate and they're bowing down to him. And you know what he does? He takes their hand and he lifts them back up to the ground. I, 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 would, I would vote for you. I would, I would cast my vote for you. I would judge you fairly. I would judge you right. I am a man of the people. You know what? A man of the people often cares more about his reputation than he does about righteousness and fairness and all that. We see that. We've seen that in politics over and over and over. We don't need a politician, do we? We need somebody that's willing to do what is best for our country, for a nation, for the world, for people, even when it's making hard decisions. Verse 6, Absalom dealt this way with all of Israel who came to the king for judgment and Absalom stole the hearts of the people. Man, can you imagine how many lies he told about David? Every one of those people coming in and out, he lies, he lies, he lies, he lies, and he's, and he's feeling justified because remember what he asked Joab? Why did you bring me back here? I was finding Gesher. But you know what? Now I'm going to make your life miserable. He stole the hearts. He lied and he stole something that wasn't his. And by the way, he's justifying himself. He justified himself for killing his brother after raping Tamar. Because he stole the sister's virginity. But now he's justifying himself and he's stealing the hearts of the people. And this is where I want you to stop and think. David, where were you at? I have no idea. Was he inside the palace? Yep. No commentaries hit on this. So if I can, if I can just stop right here and say something. No commentaries talk about this, but I'm wondering if David has gotten to an age where maybe he's feeble or maybe he's staying inside most of the time. Did nobody tell him that Absalom was outside? Did nobody tell him that he's lying about you? Did nobody tell him this? Guess what? It's par for the course for David. 
He didn't discipline Absalom. He didn't discipline Amnon. He didn't. He's now he's not going back and he's not disciplining Absalom. He should have went down there and took care of business long ago. And he's still not doing it. You cannot convince me that David did not know what was going on. And we get to verse uh, seven. Now it came about the end of four years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go and pay my vow, which I have made to the Lord in Hebron. Now, there's a discrepancy in the text, okay? The King James says 40, right? Your King James says 40, all right? From the older translations, we have four, okay? So let me tell you, what I think is going on here. It's just, a, it's, it's, not a, it's not a major problem or anything. I think for four years, I think the older translations were correct when it says four years, Absalom stood outside of that gate every single day. Now, some, some Bible scholars believe that Absalom was about 40 years old, okay? I don't know. We don't know the answer. However, I think it's about four years that he did this day in and day out, okay? Day in and day out, he stood outside of this palace. And let me tell you why I think it's taken four years. Because he is trying to connect with all of Israel. Everybody that came in and out of this palace, he is trying to let them know who he was, that he is justified in the cause I will be for you. And it took about four years to do this. This man was determined to end his dad's kingdom. And the Bible says that he went. And by the way, there again, if he did this for four years, David, where are you at? Did you not know that your son is out politicking right there in your front yard and still in the hearts of the people? that you can look out your window and see them bowing down to him when they're coming in. Where are you at? I do not know the answer to this question. He's at the end of his life. I have no idea. But the Bible says that Absalom walks in to David and he stands before him. Oh, father. Oh, father. I need to go do something. I need to go pay a vow which I have made to the Lord in Hebron. Now, this pious attitude that he has, it's, he's using a religious opportunity to create an evil act. I have got to go give unto the Lord. Hebron was where they paid their vows. It's where the priests were. I have made a dedication to the Lord and I need to go pay this vow. And then he tells in verse eight, when he made this, for your servant made a vow while I was living in Geshur and Aram and saying, if the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. Listen to this. It was asked, God, I pray that you let me come home. Please let me come home, God. Please let me come back home. Now he's sitting in Geshur and nothing's wrong. And he's making up this story that he's cried out to God. Have you and I ever said this? And he said, God, if you'll just bring me back home, I will serve you. You and I have prayed that same prayer, haven't we? Haven't we? Lord, if you just let this happen, I'll never ask you for anything again. Lord, if you just let this happen, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. 
God, if you just heal me from this, then I'll never whatever. And he's making this up. When I was when I was in Gesher, I went before the Lord and I was crying out to the Lord and I said, Lord, if you would just let me come back to Jerusalem. He says, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Do I believe that? You better believe I do not believe that. Uh, not at all. You'll see why. Now, after four years of this, four years of politicking, now he's got something else underneath his sleeve. Verse nine, then the king said to him, go in peace. So he got up and he went to Hebron. You know what? Go in peace. I think David saw what was going on. And this is my, this is my personal opinion. I think David said, finally, get out. I don't think he had the guts enough to stand up to him and say, you know what? I'm going to punish you. I'm going to banish you or whatever. I think David has a fear of Absalom because of David's age at this point. He knows that Absalom can beat him. This is the same young man that stood before a giant at 13 years old, nine foot tall, and said, I come to you with not spear and the sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. This is the same man and now David is fearful of his own son. God is not trying to put Absalom in his office. God put David into office. And he says, go in peace. I think David wiped his brow and said, get out of here. I've watched you day in and day out win the hearts of the people. You cannot convince me that the word had not got back to David. And he went to Hebron. So now here's this evil plan. He used God to get his evil plan underway. Verse 10. So Absalom sent out spies throughout all the tribe of Israel. As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom is king of Hebron. Absalom is king. Now here, what's happening now, Absalom has been assembling his, his people. What do you think he's been doing for four years with these people coming in and out, in and out, in and out. He's won their hearts and now he's got good buddies on his side. And before he was leaving, he said, okay, I want you to go out. I've got, I got Betty Sue over here and Bobby Lou and I got this person. I want you to go to their house. I want you to go to their house. And he said, I want you to, he said, all these people are for me. And I want you to go to them and he said, I want you to tell them this, that there's going to trumpet that's going to, that's going to sound as a universal sign here that a new king has arrived. And I want you to tell everybody to start screaming, Absalom is king! Absalom is king! Because see, the hearts of the people are already for Absalom. It's all, it's all a lie. By the way, how many times have we seen this in politics in America? So many people have voted for something that's nothing but a lie. They're following a false leader. And it shows you, it shows you the hearts of the people, they all believed a lie. They had no idea who they were actually following. And it all stems from David not making it right with his son when he stepped into Jerusalem two years prior. Well, it had been six years prior. For six years, they did not make things right, really. But if David would have received Absalom in, as soon as he came from Geshur, guess what? I do not think none of this would have happened. 
Now we go to verse 11. Then 200 men went out with Absalom from Jerusalem who were invited and went innocently for they did not know anything. I love that the Bible put that in there. Because it wasn't like, hey, there's this big conspiracy going on and all these people think they're turning against the king. But he had enough for 200 people that went with him. Now, here's what I don't understand. Why did 200 people go with Absalom to go make a vow in Hebron? Were they like on vacation? They didn't have nothing to do? What is it? I mean... Absalom says, you doing anything today? Well, no, you don't come with me. You doing anything today? You won't come with me. But you know what? This is the deception that Absalom used with his mouth. They had believed him, everything he said, and they followed him. 200 people are beginning to follow him. And the Bible says they went innocently. It wasn't like I'm turning against the king on purpose, but you know what? They were. They, they had to use their brain and say, you know what? This guy's trying to take over David. But the Bible says that they were innocent. They didn't know what they were going out to do. They didn't know that they were trying to set up David. Verse 12, and Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gibeonite, and David's counselor. Now this gets really important right here. While he was offering the sacrifices and the conspiracy was strong for the people, continually increased with Absalom. Okay, Ahithophel, who is this man? This is one of David's trusted advisors. What Now, he had all these people that were outside the city. Many of these people that David didn't even know. But now, he sends a note to Ahithophel. And he says, I want you to come follow me. Ahithophel knew exactly what he was talking about. By the way, David writes about this. Let me read this to you in Psalms 41.9. Ahithophel was David's friend, okay, for a long time. David says in Psalms 41.9, it says, even my close friend whom I trusted, who ate bread, bread, has lifted up his heel against me. David writes about Ahithophel later on. The Bible says that the conspiracy was strong. The most trusted advisor that, that David had leaves David and goes by Absalom's side. It's a huge victory for Absalom. Now people are looking going, wow, Ahithophel has left David. He really must be getting ready to take over the kingdom. Now, you know how I like to get off the highway. If you would allow me just to get off the highway real quick, we're going to get off on the exit ramp and I promise I'll get back on the highway, but I wanted to let you know. I want, to, I want you to understand how powerful this is. Who in the world is Ahithophel other than David's counselor? We know that he's an esteemed advisor. 2 Samuel 16 says, Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice just as David had done. Every word of Ahithophel spoke seemed wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. When Ahithophel spoke, David said, then that's coming from God. It was kind of like Samuel when he spoke, that's coming from the Lord. This is how trusted this man was. Now he is gone. Who else is Ahithophel? 
Ahithophel later on wants to kill David. 2 Samuel verse 17. Now Ahithophel urged Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men to start out after David tonight. I will catch up with him while he is weary and discouraged. He and his troops will panic and everyone will run away. Then I am going to kill the king. Wait a minute. We just went from somebody when he speaks is according from God. Now later on, and we'll see this later in 2 Samuel chapter 17, he says, I want to kill him. What? What in the world has caused this man to go from I am your most trusted advisor to look, I'm going to be the one to stab the knife in his chest. We also see this man, Ahithophel, we got to look to his relation. Second Samuel 23, it's in your notes. We see that Elam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gibeonite. Well, that doesn't mean anything to you or me, right? Who in the world is Elam, the son of Ahithophel? And we get to number four, and this explains it. Who was Elam related to? And we find this in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3. So David sent the servants. Do you remember Bathsheba about the woman? And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of who? Elam, the wife of Uriah. Now, let me... Let me wrap all this up in, on the exit ramp that we're on. Why in the world did his most trusted advisor want to put a knife in his chest because of this? Ahithophel was Bathsheba's granddaughter. And he watched David take this woman, sleep with her, make a mockery out of her, get her pregnant, lose his great-grandchild, kill her husband, and he was sitting in his kingdom watching all of this take place. Now, if you don't understand by now, you will. How far-reaching the sin with Bathsheba is, it's enormous. It affected David the rest of his life. Ahithophel was so angry at David, he said, I can't wait to kill him because of what he did to my granddaughter. Some of you grandparents have been through similar situations where you watched your grandkids be taken advantage of or whatever, and you, Ahithophel watched that day in and day out, watched Bathsheba crying when Uriah's died, watched her being made a mockery of, and David move on like nothing was wrong. And he said, it's my time. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get my revenge. This is the reason David's most trusted advisor goes out and follows Absalom. Now let's get back on the highway, verse 13. Then a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Oh, now finally somebody speaks up and says it. You know what? I do not believe this is the first time it was ever said. So finally this messenger comes and, and you know, is David really clueless that none of this was going on? And he says, the hearts of the people are with Absalom. You know, would David be shocked that he went from this people, the same people saying Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands to now here comes another man who stole the hearts of the people. 
And so now we've learned. I've learned this in ministry. You've learned this in your life. When David writes Psalms 49.1, even my best trusted friend has left me. I learned in ministry a long time ago, there will be people that will use you. And when they're done with you, they walk away from you. Do they not? In your life, there are people that use you and use you and use you. And when they're done with you, they walk away from you. Your kids, some of them will use you and use you. And then they'll walk away from you. These people, not too terribly long ago, were singing David's praises and how great he was. And now they have believed the lie and they have turned their back on David. You know what? That's, this has been going on for thousands of years. When people have used you for all they want, then they drop you. And that's why we understand that in your inner circle, there you really only have a small select group of friends that you can really, really, really trust. But the Bible says the hearts of the people were with Absalom and they did it by believing a lie. Verse 14, so David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, arise and let's flee. For otherwise, none of us will escape from Absalom. Go quickly or he will hurry and overtake us and bring disaster on us. And he will strike the city with the edge of the sword. Immediately, David jumps up out of his chair and he is legitimately scared. Where is the 13-year-old boy that fought the nine-foot, five-inch giant? Where is he? Where is the man who fought all these battles and won victoriously? Where is it the man who, who slayed the Philistines? Where is he? You know, I believe David at this point knew at his age he could no longer fight like he once did, but he had something that, that he lacked that he had at 13 years old. He lacked faith. He lacked the faith that he once had, and he says, I cannot fight these people. I cannot fight my son. He is too strong for me, and I am too weak for him. And he said, Everybody, get your stuff together. We are running. David, I don't believe Absalom. God put Absalom on the throne. I believe God put David on the throne. And I believe God can protect David on the throne. Don't you believe that? But guess what? At some point, David stopped believing this. And fear has now overtaken David. And the Bible says that they took off. Now, if he's 60, some of you are, were 60 a long time ago. Some of you are 60 now, 64 years old. At 64 years old, are you ready to take your shield off and your shield and your sword and start fighting a bunch of people at 64 years old? No. And in my heart, I believe he was thinking about his own strength at this point. And he says, they will overtake us if they come he totally said god you're not able god you're not strong enough god you can't send your angels whatever it was david was relying on his own strength then we go to verse 15 then the king's servant said to king behold your servants will do whatever my lord king chooses here's david's inner circle of men who haven't left him he still had some faithful followers and they said, we'll do whatever it takes. Even if it means, what are they saying here? If we die for you, David, it's okay. If you want us to stay here, we'll die for you. 
Just tell us what you want us to do. Here's his inner circle right here. Sounds like Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus had 5,000 fans at one time. The next day, he had none. But he had his inner circle. And even them, they left at one point, did they not? But David has his close followers. Now, this is very important. Verse 16, the king left all of his household with him, but the king left 10 concubines behind to take care of the house. Now, I want to tell you, this is so important. Now, if you don't understand that prophecy is very important in Scripture, that prophecy from Micah, from, from Daniel, Revelation, all these different things, if you don't understand prophecy, then your faith will be lacking. You look at prophecy and you're like, how in the world was that predicted 100 years, 60 years, 50 years? How is something predicted a minute later? Okay, you and I don't know what's going to happen a second from now. But he left something, someone's in his household. The Bible says that he left 10 of his concubines. Remember, we talked about who they were. They were not really wives, but they were able to inherit some of the wealth. It was no accident that David picks out 10 of his concubines and he says, hey, you ladies, you stay here. This is absolutely prophetic. And I'll tell you when it was. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, you remember the man Nathan that came to David to talk to him about Bathsheba and he said, you are the man. Listen to what he told David. This is what the Lord says, behold, I'm going to raise up evil against you and your own household. And I will even take your wives before your eyes and I will give them to your companion and he's going to sleep with your wives in broad daylight. And I'm going to tell you, give you a little glimpse of Wednesday night. That's exactly what is getting ready to happen. But when David picked out those 10 concubines, that was prophetic and he never knew it. He just said, here, you 10 stay here and take care of the house. And David takes off running. There is so much in this story where we see a, a faltering in David's life. We see a lack of faith, but we see a lot of this started from that sin and it's continued on. Remember, was he forgiven for that sin? Yes, but if you we learn anything from this, the consequences of that sin continued for the rest of his life, even though he was forgiven. Don't miss Wednesday night. We're going to talk about Absalom continuing to come in and trying to take over his kingdom.